Well, good morning, church. Oh, good response. It's awesome. It's great to be with you this morning in the house of the Lord. For those of you in the building and watching online, I'm excited to get to share God's word with you this morning. Um, as Pastor Jeff said, I'm Emma Murphy, the congregational care pastor here at Mount Horeb. And I'm just so excited and honored to be with you in this place this morning. Many of you may not know this about me, but... Ministry is actually second career for me. Before I was a pastor, I was in politics. Yeah, yeah, funny, I know, you're surprised. Before I was a pastor, I was actually the former sixth grade student body president of E.P. Todd Elementary School in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Kind of a big deal, y'all. I was really popular in elementary school. A lot of people knew me. I had a lot of friends, had a lot of responsibilities, being student body president. I was living at the top, and I was loving it. But that sixth grade year came and went pretty quickly. And I soon found myself in seventh grade at a brand new school. And you know, middle school, junior high school, as we used to call it, lots of different elementary schools feed in to a middle school. So I found myself in classes with hardly any friends. No one really knew me. I was a very small fish in a big sea. I was at the bottom. It's crazy how quickly we can go from the top to the bottom. How many of you have had a similar experience. You're a freshman in high school in a sea of seniors. You're at the bottom. You're a parent homeschooling for the first time. You're at the bottom. All of the ways that you used to be able to connect with God just don't seem to be working anymore. You're at the bottom. In our series, Resilient, we've been walking through this crazy life of Joseph, and we've seen this theme of going from top to bottom throughout the chapters. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Bill was here and took us through chapter 37, where we learned about our character Joseph and how he grew up in quite the dysfunctional family, went from favored child of Jacob to sold into slavery by his brothers, top to bottom. And last week, Chad took us through the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. You see, after Joseph was sold into slavery, he very quickly became overseer of Potiphar's home. Potiphar was the captain of the guard, pretty much the second most important person in Egypt. And so Joseph was in charge of pretty much everything that Potiphar had. But it wasn't too long before Potiphar's wife started paying a little too close attention to our friend Joseph. She tempted him over and over and over again to sleep with her. And he refused. He continued to refuse. But as we know from last week, Potiphar's wife ended up accusing him of sleeping with her anyway. And Joseph was thrown into prison. And so this week, we pick up exactly where we left off last week. Our pal Joseph sitting at the bottom in prison. Just a quick side note. When I walked into the sanctuary last week for our morning meeting, 
I was assisting Chad. I looked down at my outfit, and I realized that I had, no joke, a black and white, horizontally striped jumpsuit on. And I thought to myself, well, dang it, Emma, you should have worn this next week when you're preaching on Joseph in prison. You look just like you're in prison. I talked to Melody and Lindsay last week and told them about it, and they said, well, maybe you could find something orange to wear. But honestly, orange, you know, kind of clashes with my skin tone. So I just went with this black dress with white flowers on it. So sorry for being out of character this morning, y'all. But anyway, church, we're going to dive right in this morning, and we're going to wrestle with what it looks like to be resilient at the bottom. Our narrative is a bit long, so we're going to take it in chunks. Um, If you have your Bible with you this morning, you can open up to Genesis chapter 40. That's where we're going to land. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay, too. You can follow along on the screens. All right, we're going to pick up in verse 1. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. And they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. And so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me your dreams. I'll stop there for a minute, church. In this narrative, we're introduced to two new characters, the cupbearer and the baker, who are both high-ranked officials for the Pharaoh, the top dog. The baker, well, he was a baker. He baked bread and other food for the Pharaoh. And the cupbearer was in charge of pouring and serving wine for the Pharaoh. In many instances, he actually had to taste the wine to make sure it wasn't poisoned. These were two guys that the Pharaoh really needed to trust. But for some reason that we do not know, the story doesn't tell us, they are thrown in prison, the same prison as Joseph. These two characters, like Joseph, find themselves going from the top high-ranked positions to the bottom in jail. And we learn these men are entrusted to Joseph. One night after being there for some time, the cupbearer and the baker both have dreams. Coincidence? I don't think so. When Joseph sees them in the morning, he notices that they look dejected. In other Bible translations, this word means troubled. Joseph then decides to ask them what could possibly be troubling, which seems like quite the obvious question for two guys that are sitting in prison. But as we learn alongside Joseph, these two men have had unique dreams, and there is no one there to interpret them. And so what does Joseph do? He responds to their distress. Do not interpretations belong to God? 
please tell them to me. Joseph makes the choice to help interpret their dreams. He sees an opportunity and he goes after it. Church, in order to be resilient at the bottom, we should always be open to opportunities. When I was a junior in college, I lived with some of my very best friends, and it was so much fun. We were all really good girls, and what I mean by that is we followed the rules, and we played it really safe because we didn't want to get in any trouble or make any mistakes. But our junior year, we decided that we were going to make the most of this year. And so we came up with a motto, the year of yes. We even have a shared album on Facebook with that title and a description that says this. We have decided that this year of school will be a time of saying yes. Yes to adventure, yes to life, and yes to God. That year, whenever a new opportunity presented itself, we said yes. We dressed up and went to every school dance, even though they were super lame, we went. We joined an intramural basketball team and were terrible. We won one game, but we did it just to say that we could. We joined the leadership team for our women's ministry on campus and became mentors for freshman girls. We went on weekend trips to explore new places. We jumped off a bridge in Clemson. It was mostly safe, I think. And we even asked these two really nice guys who lived in the dorm next to us, who we barely knew, if we could watch a movie on their massive TV. And one of those guys happens to now be my husband. So I guess I owe our marriage partly to the year of yes. We seized every opportunity because we didn't want to miss out on anything. Are you a yes person? Or do you tend to find yourself being more of a no person? What opportunities are you missing out on if you are a no person? You see, Joseph was open to opportunities because he was a yes person. Joseph had every reason not to care for these men. I mean, he's sitting in the same position as them in jail. He's had terrible thing after terrible thing after terrible thing happen in his life. Betrayed by his brothers, sold into slavery, thrown into prison after being falsely accused of sleeping with his boss's wife. Joseph could have paid, easily paid no attention to the cupbearer and the baker. Joseph could have been so mad about his circumstances that he felt he had no time for these guys and their problems. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he has compassion for them. He empathizes with them because he knew what it was like to have dreams. He knew that God was somehow weaving this theme of dreams in his life. He knew God had given him this gift and so he chose to utilize that God-given gift and serve these men even in his suffering, even when he was at the bottom. Joseph was willing to help others dream before his own dreams became reality. Church, when we find ourselves at the bottom for whatever reason, we often have the tendency to focus 
on our own problems, our own pain, our own suffering. We become so fixated on ourselves that it's hard to see anyone else or anything else around us. But Joseph teaches us something so important here. Joseph did not allow his circumstances to overrule his heart. He was still attentive to the needs of others and used his gifts to help them. Oftentimes, it's those same choices, those same mistakes, that same pain, those same experiences that landed you at the bottom that are exactly what God uses to fulfill his purpose for the kingdom through you. God can use your bottom of the pit circumstances to serve others, but only if you are open to opportunities of the Holy Spirit. Often it is at the bottom that God wants us to say yes to those opportunities. And they may seem insignificant for us. Helping someone at the grocery store, inviting someone to come back to church after they haven't been here in a while, picking up the phone and calling a neighbor or a friend to just check in on them. These insignificant things could be the very thing that brings someone else up from the bottom. It was Joseph's openness to opportunities that ultimately allowed him to interpret the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. And so in verse 9, we continue the cupbearer cup and the baker tell Joseph their individual dreams, which are based on their positions and why they're, why they're in jail. One with positive outcomes for the cupbearer. And this is what Joseph says to him. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to when you were his cupbearer. And one with not so great outcomes for the baker. Within, and this is what he says. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and impale your body on a pole. And the birds will eat away your flesh. I'm thinking the baker is probably regretting at this point asking Joseph to interpret his dream. But the most interesting part about this whole passage is what Joseph says to the cupbearer after he interprets his dream. This is what he says to him. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Joseph asks the cupbearer to remember him, to remember him when he is restored to his position. Joseph has gone from bottom to top to bottom again, but by asking the cupbearer to remember him, he's believing He's dreaming that God is still doing something with him. When we find ourselves at the bottom, in order to be resilient, we must dare to dream again. Even through life's ups and downs, Joseph knew that God had a greater purpose for his life. Only three chapters before, we saw that God gave Joseph these two dreams. Two dreams that Joseph doesn't even know what they mean yet. But because of these dreams, Joseph still believed that God was working in his life. He knew the Lord was with him, and he had confidence and trust in God. 
So he asks the cupbearer to remember him because he believes he can get out of prison. He believes he can get up from the bottom. He believed that God was using the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker to help him get out of his current circumstance. How many stories have we heard throughout history of people that have failed or gone through a terrible situation and had to dream again? It took them a while before they were able to fulfill their dreams for their life. So I thought today we would play a little game because for me, preaching has got to be fun. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to make this interactive. I'm going to read three different paragraphs, descriptions of three famous people throughout history. You should know them. And when I'm done reading the description, I want you to yell out who it is. And if you're watching online, you can yell it at your TV. God will hear you. Or you can type it in the comments. But here we go. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, when this guy was a child, he didn't start speaking until he was four years old. He failed his entrance exam to the Swiss Federal Polytech School at age 16. He even worked as an insurance agent after college, but quit at that too because he was so bad. Considered a failure by so many people, including his father, he went on to win a Nobel Prize and altered the world's approach to physics. His name is almost synonymous with intelligence today. Who is it? Albert Einstein. Isn't that a great picture? I love that picture so much. All right, number two. Before he was coined the most influential, influential dancer in the history of film, this man was rejected during an early Hollywood screen test. The producer stated about this person, y'all this quote is so good, can't act, slightly bald, dances a little. Who is it? Fred Astaire. Yes, good job, y'all are smart. Number three. This person was fired from his first animation job because he, and I quote, lacked imagination and had no good ideas. He went on to win 22 Oscars, all because of his creation of our favorite mouse. Who is it? Walt Disney. Yes, good job, y'all. Each of these famous folks, people that are ingrained in our minds as successful people, had to hit the bottom, sometimes even rock bottom, before they fulfilled the dreams for their life. They didn't allow themselves to stay at the bottom though. They trusted that there was a greater dream for their life. They dared to dream again. We've all experienced this feeling of being at the bottom. And this is especially true during the season of pandemic. Maybe you've experienced the loss of a job you and your family's livelihood was dependent on that job. And now you find yourself unemployed, unsure of what's next for you. Dare to dream again. Maybe you're experiencing the loss of a loved one. That person helps shape who you are. And so you don't even know your identity without them. You're unsure how to go on. Dare to dream again. Maybe you are sick or recently diagnosed with an illness. Everything that you thought you knew about your body has failed you. Dare to dream again. Maybe your relationship has taken an unexpected twist and you find yourself questioning everything. 
dare to dream again. Or maybe you've been in quite the spiritual rut and you don't even know if God hears you or sees you. Dare to dream again. Friends, maybe daring to dream again means letting your dream take a different shape than you originally thought it would. This canvas that you originally painted for your life may need some different colors or shapes or designs. And that's okay. Resilient people dream up new dreams. The bottom looks different for all of us. Maybe it's something that you've done that's put you there. Maybe it's somewhat, something that someone else has done to you that's put you there. Or maybe it's neither. And just because of certain circumstances, you found yourself at the bottom. But what has ever, whatever has brought you to the bottom, what does it mean for you to dare to dream again? What does it mean for you to reimagine the dream that God has for you, for your life? Sometimes we can't change our circumstances that landed us at the bottom, but we can decide how we respond to them. We can choose to get angry at God and grow bitter. We can swear to never, ever dream again because it is painful for us to have hope. Or we can fully surrender. Fully surrender our lives and our pain and our hope to God. And when we do that, when we do that, we have confidence and trust that God is not done with us, that God is still working, and that God still has a dream and purpose for our lives. John Barrymore, a famous actor, said this, A man is not old until regrets take the place of dreams. Church, don't let your dream die with you. Dare to see your dreams become a reality. But as we all know, dreams take time to develop. We pick up in verse 20. Now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he impaled the chief baker, just as Joseph had said to him in his interpretation. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And that's how our narrative ends. Joseph is forgotten by the cupbearer. I can only imagine how Joseph felt when he found out that both of his interpretations had come true. And even more than that, how he felt when he found out that the cupbearer had forgotten to mention his name. Joseph has done what's right, but he has not been rewarded. No. Instead, he's been forgotten. Church, in order to be a resilient person at the bottom, it's important to remember that people will forget you, but God will never forsake you. Do you know what it feels like to be forgotten? 
When people forget us, it's often in that place that we feel forsaken, we feel abandoned, we feel deserted. And when we feel forsaken, that's when we start to forget our dreams. Maybe we even forget our identity, the very things that make us who we are. Friends, when we have this feeling of of being forgotten, we have to hold on to the fact that God will never forsake us. It means that you won't give up on yourself because God will never, ever give up on you. So maybe you find yourself here. Your dreams have been dashed. You're having trouble dreaming again. You're at the bottom. So you've walked away. This story reminds me of the disciples. They followed Jesus for many years, learning from him. But soon Jesus was arrested, put on trial, crucified, and died. And the disciples thought that their dream died with Christ. But we all know the good news that Christ rose from the dead three days later and overcame death and sin. The dream was reimagined. That same God is inviting you back today. He has not forgotten you. He is still with you. He is not done with you. In Romans 8:28, Paul reminds us of this truth. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. This passage is not referring to a perfect life where pain and suffering don't exist. Instead, it is declaring that in the midst of our pain, our suffering, our loss, our grief, our abandonment, that God is there. God is with us. God does not leave us nor forsake us. And even more than that, that God is using every trial, every tribulation, every situation where we find ourselves at the bottom for our good and for his glory. You see, while this might be the end of the chapter, it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story for our character, Joseph, or for you. God has been shaping and forming and preparing Joseph in all of this, and he's doing the same thing for you. I truly believe that if you're not dead, then God is not done. This chapter may be over, but your life won't be. Will you pray with me? Loving Father, thank you. Thank you for the promise that you will not forsake us. Thank you for the promise that you are with us, even at the bottom. Help us to remember today that you are good, that you are faithful that you love us, that you want us to come back, that you still have a dream for our lives, a purpose for our lives. And we lift all these things up in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.